This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. Over these next few episodes, we are exploring the Filipino influence on Seattle's hip-hop scene. Today, KEXP's Gabriel Chiodos fills us in on how a Filipino arts collective gave rise to some amazing MCs in the city. In the late 1990s, in the wake of the teen dance ordinance, which made it extremely hard to do all-ages shows in Seattle, a different kind of venue opened up for young artists who wanted to sharpen their craft. The spoken word open mic. There was regular nights with the poetry experience at Langston Hughes, Urban Scribes Project at Cafe Solstice, there was Basement Nation, and there was Isang Mahal Arts Collective on 7th and Jackson. These spaces helped build community. They nurtured young artists and they made a huge impact on our city's hip-hop scene that can still be felt today. As a part of our series exploring the history of Filipino artists who helped build our scene, I wanted to sit with these two and talk about what Isang Mahal was and a few of the reasons why it was so important. Dr. Angela Martinez D., who is now based in Nottingham, was once one of the youngest members in Isang Mahal. As an MC, she went by El Dia, and she recorded music alongside Rogue Pinay as the hip-hop duo First Quarter Storm. But the Philippines is a colony, mauled by false democracy, far from what we ought to be, caught between the rock and sea. We ain't property, we were called such improperly, and now that we can watch TV, we copy your hypocrisy. When El Dia was a part of Isang Mahal, she helped found Youth Speak Seattle, an arts organization that's still very active today, which also helped shape a good percentage of the hip-hop education that still happens here in town. The other artist I sat with is Prometheus Brown, aka Geo of the Blue Scholars, one of Seattle's most beloved hip-hop groups, whose success in the mid-2000s ushered in a wave of local support for Seattle hip-hop that hadn't been seen in a generation. Here's Gio talking about the first time he walked into Isang Mahal. Oh man, I think I came to my first one in like 98. So this was uh, late 98, early 99, around there. Uh, I was a senior in high school still uh, on the Bremerton side. But uh, that was part of the story actually, was the whole time I was going to to high school in Bremerton, uh, we heard about these 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 cats from Bremerton who are on the Seattle side doing this like thing that hella Filipinos and other Asians and other people of color go to and it's and they and it's it's like what is it <laughs> and like the people who were telling me who went they didn't know how to explain it they're like you just gotta go bro and then there's there's this part where like they have people from the crowd perform and at that point I had never been to anything like that I didn't even know if you would have been like let's go to this open mic I would have had to ask like what is an open mic. Um, and it wasn't until my first Kusama Hall show where I went uh, with little expectations, except the fact that I think I was just drawn in because it was like, there's a lot of cool brown folk there. That was it. That was seriously it. And the artistic element, the underlying political elements, all that stuff. It was it was almost like <laughs> it was like a trap. It was like, gotcha. Now you're going to have to confront like your identity and, and history and all this stuff. And so a lot, a lot of people were, wasn't ready for it, you know, or, or or it took them a while. And and then others like myself, it hit immediately, but I, I didn't show it like it hit to my core, like the very first night that I was there. Um, But, yeah, I came in with the wave where I think just the organic growth of word of mouth after its first year uh, started drawing folks who weren't necessarily um, into uh poetry and, and other forms of art. They they just want a community. And I think that was 
it, you know, the, and the folks who were already, already in that space were open to that. And that, that's what was so dope about it. They, they brought turntables on stage and then yeah. they had like scratch um, interludes and, and, and that turned into experimental things where like we would do poetry pieces uh, while the DJ was like scratching at parts and things like that. And it was just, it was the dopest, the dopest of, of the dopest uh, things to just stumble into at a time when I was trying to explore like my voice, my, my identity, my community. Yeah, I so completely agree. Like those, um, those improvised collaborations that we had on that on that stage at the Northwest Asian American Theater were unlike anything I had ever seen before or since. Um, it was it was so authentic and it was so raw, and yet every time really just hit hit home like that the emotional affective experience was so cleansing and so transformative that you know you couldn't help but want to come back the next month like you knew you would be back there because it was something so original that made you that nourished us and nourished our souls and yet you couldn't predict what was going to happen but you knew you'd leave feeling good can you can y'all just like Define Isama Arts Collective. You know, it's a monthly open mic and a collective of artists yeah. from different different backgrounds, different genres across the visual, sonic, poetic, kinesthetic spheres. Um, there were dancers and DJs and singers and installationists, <laughs> mm-hmm. people who would make things on a grand scale, um, a stage manager. Um, we, we were doing it professionally, except we were not professionals. Um, it, was, it was a voluntary organization, but the, the quality of the things that we created was definitely, you know, it set the bar for, for what I can now say is, is a collective experience and a, a collaborative, creative community. And it was formed by three college students and grew, grew into a movement. What brought you to hip hop music? All right, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I've told the story so, uh, so many times, many different iterations of just being a, a kid um, who my first memory started in Hawaii, even though I was born in California. So uh, being in that community, uh, in the Navy community, lots of Filipinos, lots of people from all over the country, and then also lots of folks from, from the island, uh, all together in a very small space. And so it was parties. It was uh, being a kid, not knowing, but you know, there were older kids there and whatever they were into, they were definitely into into the breakdancing. They were definitely into uh, the fashion. And then later come to find out uh, that it wasn't just the community I grew up in, but like an entire, everywhere Filipinos was, Filipino DJs was thing that I think I got very into in my teen years. Um, so my entry point was, I would say those those older those older guys who are now known as like the mobile DJ generation uh, within the Filipino community and the in the larger hip hop community. Mm-hmm. What about you, dear? Mm, for me, um, I would say I came to hip hop in the late '90s, um, but prior to that. My entry point into my love of music was really um, listening to the oldie station with my dad. 
um, and listening to his music from the 70s and my dad's love of American pop music of the 60s and 70s, which made it over to the Philippines, um, was something that really shaped my childhood. And so much of that music was Black music mm. that I couldn't help but, you know, feel those rhythms and um, and be drawn to those tones. But then hip hop really broke into the mainstream. And like, I would say, you know, from my point of view, like 95, 96, and my friends were listening to the Fugees and to Biggie and my, you know, my whole world kind of shifted because that then became the center of, of the music sphere. And from there, you know, it was really just what was on the radio, but also really feeling that there was like an opening because there was so much, so many women um, at that time who, you know, we could listen to Queen Latifah, we could listen to Lauren Hill. Um, and there was just all of this possibility in, in hearing those stories um, and those perspectives on, on the radio. Yeah. You talked about this, G, about representation, right? Like you, you talked about um, you mostly saw Filipino folks as DJs and breakdancers before. What did what did Isama Hall mean for both of y'all as seeing so many Filipino folks like telling a story through poems, through rhymes, through songs? Because it did something for me. I can only imagine what it did for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it it. it changed everything for me because um like you said it, there were definitely uh folks i looked up to and there, that's why that explains why there's so many people my age who became djs right is because they grew up in the culture seeing uh, already like the reflections of themselves and then, then now you see a proliferation uh but i was drawn to <laughs> because once you go to some hall you know you can't go back you can't unhear you can't undo experiencing the the strength of language right so i as i got drawn to that into the the mcm part isamal was a space that allowed me to imagine that it was possible just just quite simply because before that i i toyed around with like you know what if i'm gonna stick around uh, in a culture uh that's primarily black culture but i see i've grown up seeing filipinos in these spaces um my lane is to be a, a b-boy or a dj and I, I, I encountered that. I encountered like the first few times that I, I would rap. It was like, wait, you, so you don't do those other two things, but you do this, this thing. Um, and, but that was only in, only when I would step outside spaces like these spoken word joints. <laughs> uh, it was, it was not questioned there. And if it was, it was, it was within dialogue of, of the things that we were talking about. Uh, like, what does it mean to be, um, Filipino in Seattle, Asian Pacific Islander in Seattle, person of color in Seattle, to be black in Seattle. And these conversations pre-internet, I think happened more in these spoken word spaces than any space I've been in since, uh, before or after. And, and so organically and so, um, even in spaces where people were disagreeing, it seemed like there was a, it's like, okay, we all came here to work this out. And it's we're not imagining that this isn't going to be a hard experience for some, um, that some might not be ready. And there will be people who will, and there were people who walked in and walked out of like Isama Hall shows. You know, I think what's important is just having that space. What about you, Dia? Because you talked about reading, you know, 
black authors and black writers and that having an impact on you and finding your voice? Mm -hmm. Like, what did it mean for you to be in a space where it was predominantly Filipino voices? Um, it was one of the first times that I'd ever felt accepted by Filipino community. Um, mm. So being from uh, a mixed background, so in uh, Filipino context, we, we tend to use the word mestiza, although I haven't heard it in so long. Um, that's the word that would be normally be used to describe me. Um, my dad is ethnically Chinese and my mom is Spanish Filipina. Um, and that particular mix is common in the Philippines, but the way in which it showed up in me phenotypically, I'm light skin, uh, I've got quite straight hair. And there was a time when I was growing up where I felt like because I didn't have the, the more indigenous Filipino appearance that I, I didn't fit in. Um, and, you know, that's just due to the, the people that I was around and, and the communities I was around. But I knew culturally that that was my, that was my cultural home. Um, both my parents born and raised in Manila, you know, spent a lot of time there growing up and, and that kind of stuff. So coming to Isang Mahal meant that there was an opening for me um, and a, a, a potential place, position, location in which I could be seen as Filipino in the way that I needed to be in order for me to kind of like, you know, for my, for my self-concept <laughs> to be reaffirmed. And also... I got a political education in the history of the Philippines that I knew was connected to the history of my family and my origins and my ancestry, but I, I wouldn't have gotten at school or from my parents. Um, so that was, that was huge. And so, you know, what she's talking about, um, the books that we passed around, the songs that we sang, like we became politically radicalized in the best kind of way. Um, with uh, a kind of a Filipino, Filipinex now, you might say, um, angle or approach in solidarity with all the other folks of color, BIPOC folks who came to our, to the Isang Mahal events. I wouldn't have had that much contact with other communities of color, I don't think, had I stayed in my pre-Isang Mahal bubble. So I grew up in a quite a middle-class suburban area of, of Seattle. Um, and through Isang Mahal, I really knew what it meant eventually to become solidaristic with folks through hearing their stories on the mic, <laughs> in their in their heart. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Isang Mahal meant so much for me as someone who's not Filipino. Um, I tell people all the time that two of my biggest inspirations in telling my family's story as an Ethiopian person, uh, as, a, as a son of an Ethiopian immigrant, comes from Suher Hamad and Isang Mahal Arts Collective, you know, because before reading her work and then meeting y'all and, and going to Isang Mahal, I had never, I had never heard perspectives of immigrant families who, you know, the child speaks a different language than the parent and the grandparent growing up in a completely different community, almost like feeling like an alien in between like these different worlds, like the world inside your house is different than the world that you go to school with and interact with, you know? Um, like y'all, I grew up on hip hop music, but 
I hadn't heard that particular experience illustrated in the rhymes that I was listening to. I heard depictions of my neighborhood, but the immigrant experience wasn't as much there. So seeing what y'all were doing with Isam Mahal, it meant so much. Um, I'm saying all that to ask, um, well, to say that also, Dia, you're right. Like I, I saw y'all just naturally building solidarity with other groups of color. And I felt that as an Ethiopian person, I felt accepted. I felt like I was not a part of the Isam Mahal collective, but I felt like I was a part of the Isam Mahal family, you know? Um, and and y'all were that welcoming. So the so the question I want to ask based on that is for right now, this moment that we're in, right? I feel like this current generation coming up right now doesn't seem to know that this level of solidarity that was so effortless in Seattle existed. What would y'all say to young folks coming up right now, both about your experiences in building real solidarity with other groups of color and yeah, just lessons and reflections on it, you know, because it's needed. To me now as a 41 year old person, I look around and I see spaces that are resisting. I see solidarity that's being built across communities. I see all the protests that are happening. I see the cultural work that's being uh, produced in, in these times. And I'm at this point, I'm like, all right, um, I'm not. We can definitely, I think enough time has passed where we could definitely pinpoint the influence and impact that something like Isama Hall has on our community. I think it's a beautiful thing, but I think the inevitable endpoint is to zoom out. I think the work has never been done. I think we can be nostalgic about the spaces that we're a part of and uh, what it meant viscerally to be in there and emotionally, uh, but I see all the work, the resistance work, the organizing work, the movement work, the politicization, the cultural work as a continuation of something that I know that I've been a part of, that there were those before us. The work continues to share this story so that it's not only known amongst people who just had to be there. I I, I don't want that to be the the legacy, like, oh, you had to be there. I, I want folks to realize that, like, yo, if you're organizing now, if you are writing about your experience now from the lens of marginalized person with a a critical lens, you are actually part of this whole thread that we were a part of that goes before us and it will continue until we achieve uh, the thing that we we need for our collective well-being. So I I think that's, I'll bring it back though to a a theme that I did hear a lot and, and that Dio was mentioning as we were telling the story more and more and that is solidarity. I really think that's the biggest. Um, Isama Hall provided the, out of all the models I've seen in organizing in community and building relationships, Isama Hall presented the most organic and the least um, transactional version of uh, what that building can look like uh, to this day for me. I still feel that. Um, there's two things that I really want to say, um, just bouncing off what you've just said, Gia. I'll, I'll go backwards. Um, I'll start with the last thing that you said. The word, this this is a term that I've learned in recent years, right? Through academic study, we would have never even come across this term, I think, um, in, in those years. And that's prefigurative politics. So we were living the world that we wanted to see in that moment, even though we couldn't really necessarily alter immediately 
outside the boundaries of the world that we had control of. But in that space, we lived in a non-hierarchical fashion. We organized non-hierarchically. We distributed resources collectively. We distributed labor collectively. We were feminists in practice. We had an I am women's collective, knowing that, you know, the women had something different that they wanted to say together. And we were, I would say, you know, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, because we were, what we were doing was being aware of wanting to be in resistance to those things, we were able to at least experiment with different models of living and different models of of working together. The other thing that I wanted to say in terms of solidarity is that even the name, which we haven't defined yet, um, Isang Mahal, is a solidaristic shout because it means one love in Tagalog. And of course, the one love movement is, you know, originated with Bob Marley and the whalers in Jamaica and the, you know, the African diaspora um, that taught us that, you know, taught us about Babylon, taught us what we were living in, helped us to see, you know, the context in which we were struggling. And so even saying Isang Mahal, I would say, you know, kind of lays that lays that carpet out, right? This is a place in which we learn from each other. And this is a place in which we teach each other and um, in which we struggle together because our struggles are the same. Although they they are shaped differently because of our different positions, which is what we learn how to articulate through through our art. What we are, what we are up against, is similar. Therefore, um, I'm in solidarity with you. That was Eldia and Gia Blue Scholars, along with KEXP's Gabriel Chiodos, talking about the impact Isang Mahal had on Filipino MCs here in Seattle. And coming up in the next episode of Sound on Vision, we'll hear about the World Championship Breakdancing Crew, Massive Monkeys. What I learned from the Philippines too is, and this is also in hip hop as well, too, right in the Bronx. Uh, when when hip-hop was developing, is making something out of nothing. That's coming up next time on Sound and Vision. Well, before you go, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It goes a long way in helping other people discover that this podcast is out there and exists because we are a publicly funded station. We don't have a massive budget to do a lot of marketing, promotion, all that stuff. And so we rely on listeners to help spread the word by, again, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And speaking of being a publicly funded station, we are also asking that if you have the means to please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at KEXP org slash sound. We now leave you with the Blue Scholar song Evening Chai that references Isang Mahal, which was located on 7th and Jackson. Now we go home and sip some Evening Chai. But first, I'm going to share a little bit of my observation. I'm going to make with you. Take out my pad and my pen. Let's go. Take out my pad and my pen. I taste the evening, breathing the crisp Pacific Northwest air as it's leaving my lips. Crack the mist, this visual kiss. The Puget Sound in the bluest disguise. Two sides of the abyss. This city was built on the backs of the brave who gave up their home for a dollar a day. The same folks who rose up demanding minimum wage. Unofficial slaves not given a page, a photograph or a paragraph written to claim them. 
Some got the nerve to say go back to where you came from Same ones who stole the land from Chief South And named the city after them as if to say we honor you Right after we conquered you and pillaged your home Soil fertilized with indigenous bones Jimi Hendrix, Ray Charles and Quincy Jones Japanese jazz, now hip-hop and poems at 7th and Jackson The microphone's open, subverted culture genocide Seven years going in the moment in the music Time to show and prove it Never will you see me be a Judas to the movement Used to be a student of the beat until I mastered it And then I set it free to let it be the energy that I command when I spit Illest shit heard out of mangled tight lips I like sisters with hips, I like sisters with hopes Even better than those, blow spirits through the smoke out my mouth and my nose I pose questions like Why folks wear lopes at night? Either the Lesswas or the moon is too bright These dudes in tight shirts and spiked hair Hit up the late night Chinese joint with fanfare Fresh out the club, one stumbling drunk Ain't worth my time, just a mumbling punk And he be acting like a chump, but he's still my brown brother Sister by your side, died carrying fake eyes Probably wonders why she attracts the fake guys I sigh under south side, night skies My people, young, brown, and gifted conversely The people I belong to, believe me, it hurts me To use the same fist that I raise against the system To cock back and hit him Getting all caught up in the moment and the music Time to show and prove it Never will you see me be a Judas to the movement Used to be a student of the beat until I mastered it And then I set it free to let it be the energy that I command when I spit Illish shit heard out of mango tight lips I like sisters with hips, I like sisters with hopes Even better than those Blow spirits through the smoke out my mouth and my nose And then I breathe Out my mouth and my nose and then I breathe Out my mouth and my nose and then I breathe I Put it down out and then I breathe